This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Hashem runs this world. Nothing happens in this world without Hashem. Hashem is in charge. He's in control. All the time. 100%. Nothing in this world happens without Hashem. So don't get angry. Things need to be fixed, yes. But anger? No room for anger. He insulted me. I realized Hashem wanted me to be insulted. And if not him, it would have been someone else or through a different way. Everything happens for a reason. Someone said that this person had a fashlof in the malach, uh, an angel that's asleep. Because he, he, he was in the newspapers for some negative story. He ended up being in the newspapers. So he had to be in, it was decreed in heaven he's going to be in the newspapers. <laughs> but had he had a merit, he would have been in the newspapers about some great activity that he's done or some wonderful thing that he's done. Instead, he ended up being in the newspapers for some negative story. So, you know, everything that happens in this world is decreed in heaven. Nothing just happens, random. There's no, nothing random, there's nothing accidental, there's nothing happenstance. Everything is decreed in heaven. My choice, should I get angry? Why, why should I get angry? That's my choice. Why get angry? How could I get angry? I'm not angry at Hashem. Something bad happens to me, it's a wake-up call for me. It's not going to get angry at Hashem. So, angry at the other person? It's foolish. It makes no, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's idolatry. Why am I empowering that other person? I'm losing control. I'm saying Hashem lost control. And I'm empowering Him. He's nobody. He's nothing. He, can, he has the control to hurt me, to make something happen to me. No. So the expression of the Chazal is very accurate. It's not the hyperbole. It's not just exaggeration. It's deadly accurate whoever loses his temper you get angry you're an idolater you're worshipping you've turned that person into an idol into a god, into a deity and you're worshipping empowering and nothing could be further than the truth simply not true so why am I losing my temper no Jew in the world will worship an idol. You would rather die, you would rather be burnt alive and bow down to an idol. So when you realize that when you're losing your temper, you are worshiping an idol, you're turning that person into an idol, into a deity, into a god, and you're bowing down to him and worshiping him, this is enough to even a person who's hot-tempered and even a person who's redhead and hot-tempered and hot-blooded and 
it's enough to, wait a minute, to give you pause. <laughs> stop, stop. I'm not, I don't want to worship an idol here. There's no difference in bowing down to the cross and getting angry. That's what the rabbis are saying. The rabbis are not mincing words. They're not playing games. They're not, they mean what they say and they say what they mean. Whoever loses his temper, you're worshiping an idol. So that's enough to give you a pause. And the truth is, that's enough. That's all you need is to take a little pause to help you control your anger. Just stop for a moment. I want to worship an idol. I'm not an idol worshiper. That's one thing I'll never... Over my dead body, am I going to worship an idol? You'll have to shoot me first before you get me to bow down to the cross. So you have to shoot me first before I'm going to get angry. I'll lose my temper. <laughs> and that, that pause, just take a breath and take a step back, is 90% of the struggle, 99% of the struggle to overcome your... Breathe, relax, calm down. Nothing good comes of anger. It's, 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 it's completely negative. It's, 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 you destroy yourself. You harm yourself. It has no effect on the other person. The only effect that it has is on yourself. A very negative effect. It causes illness. It causes all types of things. People are stewing. People are angry. They're stewing in their anger. And they're, internally, they're constantly angry and raging and upset. And, you know, it's not a life. The rabbis say in ethics, it's not a life. You know, a person who loses his temper is not a life. It's not the, so nothing good comes out of it. Sometimes it's necessary, as we're going to learn later. There is a place for anger. That's why it doesn't say in the Torah, don't get angry. There's a place for anger. Moral indignation, righteous indignation. There's a time when you have to, the teacher, the parent, the prophet, the leader has to get angry. And when you see immoral conduct and you see people get away with murder, you have to, even though you're harming, you're harming yourself. When the Torah says, hate Amalek, it, 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 it's harmful to hate. But you have to hate. When you see evil and you see injustice, if you don't get angry, you don't get morally indignant, and it doesn't motivate you to do something, then something is wrong with you. So there's a time and a place. But in general, anger, Maimonides says, the ideal is a person should always take the middle road. He says there's two exceptions. Arrogance and anger. In these two attributes, the middle road is no good. You should go to the other extreme. You can't be humble enough. Nothing good will come with from arrogance. Arrogance is so destructive. Even a drop of arrogance in Pesach, we get rid of even the drop of hummus because even the smallest bit of arrogance destroys everything. And the same is with anger. And says, of all the attributes, anger and arrogance is something you have to go to the other extreme. Avoid it at all costs. It's no good. It's not healthy. Nothing good will come out of it. It's self-destructive. It's, it's, it's negative, negative, negative. It's, it's toxic. It's toxic. It's toxic to your body. It's toxic to your soul. You're not harming the other person. You're harming yourself. But we know that intellectually. We all know that. When, you, when something triggers your anger, all the knowing, all the knowledge goes out the window. 
<laughs> next thing you know it, you flare up and you're, you're like a fiery explosion, a volcanic explosion, and it's out of control and it's chaos. And watch, run. Run for your life. But, but this is enough to give you pause. When you read this letter explaining what the rabbis say that it's the equivalent of idolatry, <laughs> wait a minute, this, I don't care how out of control you are. Even the most out of control Jew, a person who has zero impulse control, a person who's completely loose and no discipline and lives as he pleases and is addicted to materialism. But one thing, there's a red line that a Jew won't cross, and that's idolatry. Everything stops there. You could be totally out of control. You could be totally out of your mind. You could be to- but this is a red line that no Jew in the world would cross. The biggest bum, the biggest lowlife would rather be burnt alive and has been burnt alive than, God forbid, bow down to the cross or worship idols. So when the rabbis say, hey, Heverman, listen, realize, when you lose your temper, you are worshiping an idol. You're turning... Your enemy, you're angry at that person. You're turning, you're not angry. You're turning him into a god. You're worshiping him. You elevated him. You 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 put him in charge. You put him in control. You're turning him into a god. It's the exact opposite of what you intended, and you're worshiping an idol. So that's enough to give any Jew, no matter how out of control you are, no matter how it's impossible, and the volcano is about about to explode in a volcanic explosion, but idol. Idolatry? No, no. That's one place I'm not going. And that's enough to give you pause. And once you give pause, all you need is that breather. Just calm. Breathe in. (laughs) Relax. And then, if you can do that, you're 90% over the the hump, over the hurdle. You can do it. Could be done. It's doable. The rabbi is also realistic. The problem with anger is it's so hard to control. So the rabbis are giving us the tool. Realize that it's idolatry. It is, literally. So, I'm not going there. And if this is a tool and helpful, so helpful, now you just got to implement it (laughs) in real life. Try it out. Experiment. Come back with us with the results. How did it go? <laughs> did it work? <laughs> I have a black eye on no one. <laughs> the other person has a black eye. And God has many agents through whom he can act. Hence, even if the offending party had chosen otherwise, the incident would have befallen the victim in any case. This discussion recalls the teaching of the Mechilta cited by Rashi on the verse, and Hashem caused it to happen to him. For to such a case the Mechilta applies the verse from evildoers there emerges evil. This means that though it was decreed from above that someone should sustain an injury, Hashem brings it about that a particular person should inflict that. That context, however, speaks of an unwitting injury. In the case of a potentially willful offender, if he instead of choosing freely to act in an evil manner, he chose to do otherwise, the event would still have occurred, for Hashem has many agents as quoted above. At any rate, it is thus clear that the victim has no cause to be angry with the offender, 
for the true cause of the offense was not him, but a heavenly decree. This is a similar analogy. Like it says, if a person, let's say, murdered someone intentionally, murdered someone intentionally, but there were no witnesses, so he was never sentenced. Not because he wasn't guilty, because tech for, he got off on a technicality. He deserves to die. He deserves to receive a capital punishment. He murdered someone, but he gets off on a technicality. Then there was a person who killed someone unintentionally, not accidentally, unintentionally. And for that, you need to go into exile. You need an atonement of exile to go into the cities of refuge. Someone killed someone accidentally. You don't even have to go to the city of refuge. You're driving down the street and someone runs, runs in the middle of the street in front of your car. You know, you threw a stone, there was no one there, and someone, someone stuck his head out the window. And he, I mean, it's not your fault, that's an accident. No one holds you accountable. Even, you don't even have to bring, there's no atonement. I mean, it was completely, it's completely not your fault. But if it was unintentional, in other words, it was a little negligent. It wasn't exactly, you know, I never intended to kill anyone, but I, sh- I wasn't careful. I should have been careful. For that, you need an atonement. You have to go to the city of refuge. But let's say there was no, no witnesses either. So what does Hashem do? So Hashem does, he says that he, this person, he's on top of the ladder. The one who killed intentionally is on the bottom of the ladder. And he falls off. And he kills the one on the bottom of the ladder. So the one, the murderer, gets killed. He got his just desserts. He got his just reward. He killed, he murdered, and he died. He got killed. The one who was on the ladder and fell off and killed this person unintentionally, he didn't intend to kill him, he fell off the ladder. He was a little, a little negligent. He was going down the ladder, he should have been careful. And therefore, there are witnesses. So he, he gets the punishment that he has to go into exile. He has to go into the city of refuge until the high priest dies. So Hashem gets even with everyone. Well, nothing just happens by accident. The person who's killed deserved to die. There's something previous, something in his past. The person who was an instrument for killing him deserved to go into exile. Last time he got away with it, this time there are witnesses. So Hashem, you see that Hashem runs this world. Everything is for a reason. Nothing just happens. Unless it was decreed in heaven that this person should die, this person wouldn't have died. See, he fell on him. He was a little negligent. But this person would have died anyway. Hashem wanted him to die. He deserved to die. He was a murderer. So Hashem orchestrated it in a way that every, everything works out. Everything, there's justice at the end of the day. Everything is evened out, smoothed out at the end of the day. There's no imbalance. In, uh, at the end of the day, everything is balanced out. There's no void, there's no imbalance. It appears to be temporarily, there's an imbalance. You're getting away with murder. No one gets away with anything. Eventually, Hashem is the judge and Hashem does justice. And eventually, everything, everything works out. Everyone gets what they deserve positive and negative and everything is evened out in the universe everything is smoothed out Hashem is running this world that's what it means Hashem is in charge of this world nothing just happens randomly Hashem is, orchestrates everything everything is divine providence everything is purposeful and meaningful and the multi-dimensional things that are happening simultaneously he fell off the ladder and he killed someone 
so simultaneously, the person who fell off the ladder, Hashem has a calculation with him, because he deserves to go to the refuge and exile. The, uh, the one who died, Hashem has a calculation with him. Nothing just happened. So therefore, this reinforces the idea that why am I getting angry? If something happened to me, yes, there's many things involved there. The person who chose wrongly and the person who did it and he acted immorally and he went against Hashem's will and he has to... That's his, that's his package, that's his thing that he has to deal with. But what happened simultaneously, what happened with me, that has nothing to do with him. That's Hashem's calculation with me. That's between me and Hashem. Hashem is... Hashem could do many things simultaneously. And it's different tracks, working on different tracks. So this would have happened to me one way or the other. Because this needed to happen. Hashem wanted it to happen. So if it needed to happen, it was going to happen one way or the other. Had that, chosen, done, had that person done the right thing and chosen well, it would have happened through a different way. But the result would have been the same for me. I wouldn't have escaped the result. But even in this case, where he acted intentionally, even in this case, it's also true. Yes, he acted intentionally and willingly, but you have to realize that what happened happened to me, that's between me and Hashem. Hashem willed it so, wished it so, and this was going to happen to me one way or the other. The Alter Rebbe now takes this one step further. Not only does the heavenly decree give the offender an undefined potential to do harm, but moreover, the particular thought to do it and the power to do it all come about from Hashem. At the same time, since man has freedom of choice, he can of course choose to reject such a thought and refrain from doing such a deed. Even the thought, where does this thought come from? That I should harm the other person. This thought popped into my head. I should do harm to this other person. Where does this thought even come from? Where does the energy to speak, to say something negative about the other person, where does it even come from? Everything comes from Hashem. Now, I don't have to act on it. I have the freedom of choice to reject it and to choose to act morally and, God forbid, not to lay a finger or to harm another person. But, but the thought that something negative should happen to me, if it wasn't decreed in heaven that something negative to happen to me, he would never even have the thought in the first place. It would never even enter his mind to even harm him. The fact that it even entered his mind and that he's speaking and this energy and this strength and this idea comes from Hashem at this moment. Because Hashem decreed that this has to happen to me. And that's why it enters his mind. Now had he chosen wisely, Hashem would have, would have found a different way. But this thought, this idea in the universe that I have to be harmed how could anyone even entertain that thought? Unless it was an Hashem's thoughts. If Hashem didn't want it and didn't desire it and didn't wish it into existence, this thought would never even enter anyone's mind. So the fact that it enters someone's mind to harm me, that already means, oh, oh my God, it means in heaven already, <laughs> Hashem wants this to happen, something negative to happen to me. So that's the, that's the issue not him, it's, it's, it's that Hashem, it's between me and Hashem, Hashem wants this to happen. I better get my act together. Anger thus remains unjustifiable, for the offended party is not angry that the other party made an evil choice. What angers him is the damage done to him. His anger thus results from his lack of belief that the true cause 
for his mishap is not a particular individual's evil choice, but a heavenly decree. What's the proof that my anger is not for the other person's immoral choice? Because if I was angry because the other person made an immoral choice, I would get angry at anyone who hurts anyone, not just me. When I see someone else harming someone else, I don't get angry. I don't get involved. I don't care. Why suddenly I only get angry when someone hurts me? (laughs) Someone insults me. All of a sudden I get all worked up and I get angry. If it's a moral indignation. How could, you tr- how could you act so immorally? How could you violate the Torah? How could you go against Hashem's express will and wish? Don't harm another person. Be kind to another person. If that was the case, it was a purely egoless, moral indignation, then anyone who gets angry at anyone, I would, I, would lose, I would get angry. But I don't get angry when anyone gets angry at anyone. I only get angry. It's an exclusive. I only get angry when someone harms me, someone assaults me, someone inconveniences me. So what does that tell me? Let's be honest. It doesn't bother me that he chose wrongly. It's not a moral indignation. It bothers me that you harm me. It bothers me that he harmed me. He harmed me. He wouldn't even have the thought. He wouldn't even be able to entertain a thought. He would never even enter his mind to harm me. Unless Hashem wanted I should be harmed. So what, what, who is he? What am, he? He doesn't even... He's not part of the picture as, as far as affecting me. He has his own thing that he has to atone for, for choosing immorally, for acting immorally, for defying Hashem, and for entertaining this thought that entered into his mind. But unless it was decreed in heaven that this should happen to me, it, this energy wouldn't even be in the universe. It would never even enter anyone's mind to harm me unless it was decreed in heaven. So if someone is thinking negatively about me and someone is, is thinking, plotting to harm me and someone is speaking, ultimately, anything that happens in this universe comes from Hashem. So if Hashem did not plant this idea in his mind, if this energy was not out there in the universe, it would never even, it would never even think of it. He would never even entertain the idea. The fact that he entertained the idea to harm me is because it was decreed in heaven that I should be harmed. Now, he has a moral duty and obligation to reject that thought. Hashem never told him to volunteer for this job. He's not doing it because it comes from heaven. He doesn't even know it comes from heaven. He never studied the Tanya. He never studied Hasidus. He's doing it because he's an evil person. And he's thinking negative thoughts about harming another person. And as we learned earlier, Dr. Rebbe says, if you have a negative thought about your fellow Jew, you should dismiss it like, like, as if it's an idolatrous thought. He's not dismissing it. He's entertaining it. And he acts on it. So that's his, his, his track. That's his problem. That's something he has to work on. But unless this, this, it was decreed in heaven, this energy wouldn't even be in the universe. He, couldn't, he wouldn't even be able to entertain this concept and never would have entered his mind that I should be harmed. This is how powerful when we say Hashem runs this world to that extent. Everything that happens in this world comes from Hashem. He's going he's to prove it from the Bible. This is a very powerful revolutionary concept that the Baal Shem Tev taught but it's really Judaism 101. This is basic belief in Hashem. If you really believe in Hashem, totally believe in Hashem and Hashem's absolute reality and unity and then this is the most, it goes without saying, it's obvious. 
And Alter Rebbe is going to bring a very clear proof from, from the Tanakh how true this is. It's not just a radical concept that the Baal Shem Tev came up with. It sounds very radical because no one ever spelled it out in so many words. That you're telling me that the fact that he had a negative thought to harm me, that he even entertained this thought to harm me, it's only because Hashem put that thought into his mind because it was decreed in heaven that something negative happened to me. And if it wasn't decreed in heaven, something negative happened, this thought would never even enter anyone's mind. You wouldn't even have the energy and the strength to entertain such a thought. Nothing just exists. If anything exists in this world, it comes from Hashem. At this moment, Hashem is putting this thought into his mind. Because in heaven it was decreed that something has to happen to me. So therefore, this thought is in the universe and this thought is in his mind. He has to reject it. That's, that's his issue. He didn't reject it. He chose to act on it. He chose to be the emissary through which Hashem is, this decree is going to be implemented. And for that, he has to be punished. But the bottom line is, in relationship to myself, I have to realize to the extent that Hashem is running this world. Hashem is in charge of this world. Hashem is in total control of this world. Not only if it wasn't decreed in heaven, he couldn't have touched me. If it wasn't decreed in heaven, he would never even think of touching me. The thought would never even cross his mind. He would never even entertain the thought. To that extent. I mean, this is so revolutionary. Before the Baal you know, we didn't even, it was never spelled out the extent of our faith in Hashem. And now the Alter Rebbe is going to prove it from, from the Tanakh, one of the most famous stories in the Tanakh, a, a Pasuk that says clearly this point of the Baal Shem Tev. And not only this, that a heavenly decree gave permission and principle and made it possible that he suffer injury, but even at that very moment in which the offender strikes or curses him. There is vested in him, in the offender, a force from God and the breath of his mouth which animates and sustains him as it is written, for God told him, curse. What happened was, when King David, at the end of his life, his son, Absalom, um, committed treason, revolted against David, rebelled against his father, very stealthily gained the confidence and the trust of all the elders, very sly, he, he got a letter from his father, from King David, that he should, um, that two elders should accompany him. Whichever elders that he chooses should accompany him. But the problem is he went to all the elders and he just, two at a time, and he showed them this letter. So he gathered all the elders around him. And anyone that came to Jerusalem to be judged, he went out of his way when his father it judged against uh, one of the parties. He said, you know, if I would judge, I would find, find you in favor. He was a sly politician, and he got the whole, he was handsome, he was beautiful, and his long flowing hair, and he was like a, a Nazarite, and he, he attracted the following, and he rebelled against his aging father at the end of his life. And King David ran, escaped Jerusalem, and Shimi, Shimi ben Gera, Shimi, ran after King David. And he cursed him. Not just cursed him. Cursed him with the worst curses. Shimei ben Gator was one of the most respected scholars, leaders of the Jewish people, Torah scholar. And he's chasing after David and cursing him, the worst curses. It's such hatred. King David has been king already for close to 40 years. I mean, he was... 
King David, and he cursed him. He says, wow, everything, you, you deserve this. You despic- I mean, the worst curses. And uh, King David's entourage, he said, give us permission. Let, let's kill this dog. How dare you speak to the king like this? Anyone who speaks to the king like this, that's treason. Because you die. You don't speak to a king like that. And King David stopped. He says, no. He says, why? Ki Hashem Because God told him to curse him. You look in vain. Where in the world did God tell him to curse? God never spoke to Shimi. It's pre- forbidden for anyone to curse the king. And Shimi ultimately paid for his life, paid with his life. When King David was reinstated, when he suppressed the rebellion, the first one to approach him was Shimi ben And he pleaded and begged and forgiveness. And the king, in a generous gesture, you know, he, just, he wanted to regain the confidence. You know, if he was going to immediately punish someone like Shimon ben he would scare off anyone. Because everyone was loyal to the other side. So they're not going to transfer their loyalty back to King David. He didn't want to rule out of fear. He wanted to rule out of love with the people, to reconcile with the people. It was a terrible breach between King David and the whole Jewish people. So you have to reconcile. So he showed magnanimity. He showed gave him, he promised him publicly he's not going to touch him on his deathbed King David told Shlomo Melech that make sure that he doesn't die a peaceful death because he, did, he does deserve to die and he will not have a share in the world to come unless he's atoned for for that terrible sin that he did for cursing King David so he told Shlomo Melech use your wisdom to make sure that he dies he deserves what he, he gets what he deserves and that will be an atonement for his soul so King David knew that what he did was absolutely vicious vile, evil and he deserves to die so what, it's impossible what do you mean God told him to curse God of course never told him to curse it's illegal, it's immoral it's against the Torah you lose your life, you forfeit your life if you curse the king how can God tell him to, do, to curse so the commentaries would say it doesn't mean literally, it means that, you know, that obviously Hashem is punishing me. And, but if you take the verse literally, God told him to curse. What does it mean, God told him to curse? He never told him to curse. So the Rebbe is going to explain this is, this is the revolution of the Balshemtiv, this is the innovation of Balshemtiv that caused such a stir and that the, the whole establishment was like, how could you say this? And, but this is what the verse is saying. What he's saying is the fact that he even entertained the thought to curse me, that he had the energy and the strength to open his mouth to curse me. You think we speak on our own? We exist on our own? We have energy on our own? We have thoughts on our own? Everything is Hashem. Every thought, every breath, every movement, everything is Hashem. God runs this world. There's no other reality but God. There's nothing else. So unless it was decreed in heaven, if Hashem didn't want me to be cursed, and to hear these vile curses, and to be these vicious attack, and to be attacked so viciously, and to be so harangued and and, uh, harassed, unless it was decreed in heaven that this should happen to me, for whatever reason Hashem has, to atone my sins, whatever it is, 
he would never even he would never even entertain the thought. Where did this thought pop into his head that he should curse? Who gave him the energy and the strength to speak? It's only because Hashem wanted me to be cursed. Of course he deserves to die. I'm not arguing with that. Of course he deserves. And he did die. And King David arranged it. <laughs> At the same time, he says, God told him to curse me. When did God speak to Shimi? Shimi is not a prophet. God never spoke to him. Of course he would never tell him to do something so immoral. and never happened. But the fact that he's cursing is all you need to know that Hashem is telling him to curse. The fact that he's here cursing me. If Hashem would not decree in heaven that this should happen to me, he has the power to curse me. He has the power to act so viciously and so vile against me. Hashem is running this world. It's because Hashem wants this to happen to me. So who's putting this idea in his head? Who's giving him the power to speak? It's Hashem. Of course, he should have rejected it. And he, should have, he shouldn't have succumbed. What he did is completely immoral. And for his soul, he's going to have to atone for that sin. But, but this is between him and Hashem. But Hashem is telling, between me and Hashem, I'm angry at him. He's, he's Hashem. This is between me and Hashem. King David says, Hashem is telling him to curse. Everything comes directly from Hashem. So if you truly understand this, could I get angry at anyone? What am I getting angry at? If you understand that Hashem is putting the thought in his mind, Hashem is putting the energy in his mouth, and the energy in his hands, so what? He's harming me? Who is he? He's, Hashem is doing this to me. So I'm really angry at him. If Hashem wants this to happen, it's going to happen. It's going to go down through him or through a different way. This is going to happen one way or the other. If it was decreed in heaven, it was decreed in heaven. I better do teshuva. I have to change. If I'll change, spiritually change, if I'll change and become better, then I can avert the decree in heaven. But that's... I have to address the root cause, the heaven, Hashem. Not the symptom. What am I dealing with? Symptoms here. This is, he's just a symptom. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Why, why focus on the... Let me focus on, the, on what's really going on, the inner dynamics that's really making all this happen. So unless I address the inner dynamics, well, what am I getting angry at him? People have negative things happen in their life, so they get so angry. This person caused it, and that person caused it, and they become consumed with hatred, and they spend the next years with lawsuits and suing each other and killing each other and fighting each other and hating each other. It's like Ridiculous. If it wasn't decreed in heaven that this should happen to you, this, this negative thing would never happen to you. So get your act together. Come to shul. Start learning. Start davening. Do teshuva. Do a little soul searching. Change. Become a better person. Become a kinder person. A generous person. A good person. And the decree in heaven will leave. And then you'll be blessed. Instead of lashing out and being angry and being angry at half of the world and fighting the whole world and lashing out. Well, it's, it's, it's a joke. Well, what, what are you wasting your time? He has the power to harm you. He would, the thought would never even have crossed his mind. The thought would never even have crossed his mind unless Hashem decreed, unless the energy was out there in the universe. Hashem decreed that this has to happen to me. And that's why it, this thought even popped into his mind to harm me. And the fact that he had the energy to carry it out, to implement it, is also because Hashem is giving him that energy. Because if it wasn't decreed in heaven, this should happen to me, he wouldn't be able to move his hands. 
He wouldn't be able to move his lips. His lips would freeze. He doesn't have the power. It doesn't even exist only because Hashem wants him to exist at this very moment. They think he has the power to move his lips and to lift his hands to Harvey. Hashem is doing it. And if Hashem wants it to happen, there's nothing in the universe that's going to stop it. Even if he had chosen wisely and chosen not to act on his impulse, not to act on this thought, and he should have, he should have chosen, chosen that way, it's still going to happen to me. I can't stop it. He can't stop it and I can't stop it. I can only stop it if I do a little soul searching. See, me and Hashem, I better get my act together and I better change, inner change. If I'll do an inner change. All that negativity, that terrible decree will go away. Instead of focusing on the other person, let me focus on myself. Becoming a better person. Hearing the alarm clock, hearing this wake-up call from Hashem to get my act together. Instead, people become consumed with hatred. They spend years of their life fighting each other and beating each other and harming each other and plotting and scheming, self-destructing. In the, in the, in the, you see families destroying themselves, people destroying themselves, businesses destroying themselves. They become so consumed with all that hatred and negativity and anger and c- control. And Hashem is in control. Get that into your head. There's nothing but Hashem. Hashem told him to curse. That's what David Amelo says. I'm going to waste an ounce of energy and getting angry at Shimmy. Of course what he did is terrible. And he's going to have to pay for his life, with his life for what he did. But I'm going to waste an ounce of energy and getting angry at Shimmy for cursing me? Are you out of your mind? He is cursing me? Whoever put this thought into his mind even cursed me. Who planted this thought? Hashem planted this thought. Because right now there's a decree in heaven against me. So what, what, I'm going to waste my energy on him? Getting angry at him? I have to focus my energy 100% on turning to Hashem, changing myself, improving myself, changing the decree, shaking something up to change this terrible decree that people shouldn't think negatively about me. And automatically, if you'll change the decree in heaven... People will stop thinking negatively about me, and people will stop talking negatively about me, and people will stop acting negatively against me. Because in, in heaven, if it was decreed in heaven that everything should be pleasant, and everything should be good, that's, that's the only change. That's, that's where change happens. Change doesn't happen by getting angry at the other person. Change happens when something changes inside of me, and I become closer with Hashem, and I improve and change. So that's what David Melech is responding to his general to you. I'm get angry at him. Why, why, why waste my time and energy? That's not, that's not what it's all about. That's not what's happening. You don't understand what's really going on here. Don't get distracted and don't be fooled for a moment. He's cursing me. Hashem Amalekalo. God is telling him to curse. Of course, God never spoke to him. But the fact that he's doing this to me is all the information that I need that I know God is telling him to curse because otherwise he would not be able to curse. So what seems so revolutionary, the Baal Shem Tev said, is, is literally, it's the, it's the truest way to understand the simple verse in Tanakh, the story with the King David. So it's not so radical. It's, so, it's really simple. If you really have that faith in Hashem, that Jewish faith in Hashem, that Hashem is 
totally in charge and totally in control and there is no other reality but Hashem, the simple faith that every Jew has and we've had for 3,800 years, then it's simple. Yes, it was never spelled out before. Until the Basham Tov came along, no one ever spelled it out in so many words. But instinctively, Jews always knew this. This is our faith in Hashem. This is our Jewish faith. And this is the acid test. That's what the rabbis say. If you get angry, this is the acid test. That means you don't really believe in Hashem. You're an idolater. Let's be honest. This is the test. This is, this is, this is the giveaway. You know, every teacher has a giveaway question. A person, a student could learn for hours and cram before the test. And it's just information, a lot of words. There's always one question. It's a giveaway question. Does the student really understand the material? Does he get it? Does he truly understand it? He's just mouthing words. And today he knows and tomorrow he's going to forget it. Or did he really, really get it? Does he understand? This is the giveaway. You lose your temper? That means you don't get the Yiddishkeit. You don't understand anything. Zero. able to control your temper. King David was able to control his temper. Instead of getting angry at Shimmy, he says, why well, waste my time on Shimmy? I'm going to get angry at Shimmy. I'm, gonna... I'm not wasting a second of Shimmy. It has nothing to do with Shimmy. Are you kidding me? Hashem, Amalekilus. We mean Hashem. That's what I'm going to focus my energy on. It's a wake-up call from Hashem, and I, I have to do some inner shifting, inner changing, inner soul-searching going beyond my ego and becoming a better person, what was after with him? This is, this is the moment of truth. This is, the, this is where you separate the men from the boys. This was this powerful point from the Baal Shem Tov. Three sentences, two sentences, one of the most powerful statements. Shalta Rebbe is articulating and defending and clarifying and explaining so eloquently. We have to thank Hashem for Hasidus, for giving us this Baal Shem Tev, giving us Magid and Alter Rebbe and all the Rebbe's, for clarifying the faith. To what extent Jewish faith is it's so, it's so real. And it changes your life. It changes how you react to things and how you look at things. Anger. There's no room for anger. I don't have any energy for anger anymore. I don't have any time for anger. What anger? What anger? What for anger? It's amazing how people spend their whole lives consumed with anger and negative energy and, and they destru- it's pointless and destructive and missing the boat, missing the point. And instead, deal with the root cause, deal with what's really going on, the inner dynamics, and then the negativity will go away. Negativity will go away. Look, Shimi ended up reconciling with King David. At the end, he begged forgiveness and humbled himself because King David knew what he had to do. King David did that inner work, whatever Hashem wanted of him to do, whatever he needed to do. He did that inner spiritual work. And the whole thing turned around, and the rebellion collapsed. His former enemies humbled themselves and completely subjugated themselves to him, and it was very pleasant. For his own benefit, he told King Solomon, make sure that he doesn't die on his deathbed so his soul could achieve an atonement. Because the terrible sin that he did to curse the king, it's like the worst the worst treason, it's the worst sin in the world, your soul. It's a stain on his soul. That, uh, and for his own sake, make sure that he gets the proper atonement by receiving the consequences and receiving the punishments in the Torah, which are not punishments, they're, they're, they're atonements, they're healing for the soul. 
So in our lives, don't focus on the other person. Focus on Hashem. Focus your energy. Focus on yourself. Focus on what you need to do. Your own personal improvement. Your own change. Change yourself. And the decree in heaven will change. And then everything, all the external circumstances will change with it. All those negative thoughts and negative energy and all those that are harming you and will dissipate, will go away. What am I going to do with my time? (laughs) 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 That's a good problem to have. That's a good problem to have. Talavai, right? Now, where did he say so to Shemi? Where do we find it written that Hashem told him to curse David? But this thought that occurred in Shemi's heart and mind to curse David descended from Hashem, who is thus responsible for such a thought entering Shemi's mind. And the breath of his mouth, which animates all the hosts of heaven, animated the spirit of Shemi at the time he spoke those words to David. For if the breath of Hashem's mouth had departed from the spirit of Shemi for a single moment, he could have not spoken at all. And that is the meaning of the statement for Hashem told him at that very moment when Shimi was speaking his words, curse David. Hashem did so by providing Shimi at the time with life and the power of speech. And who shall say to him, why did you do so? In the table of glosses and amendations, Luach wrote which is appended to the standard editions of the Tanya, Rebbe Shlita notes that the words to him seem to be unnecessary inasmuch as the above quoted verse simply states, without this addition, and who shall say, why did you do so? It has been suggested that the Rebbe Shlita notes that these words merely seem superfluous rather than stating outright that they are, because at this point the Alter Rebbe is actually referring to another verse. For the word of the king rules, and who shall say to him, what are you doing? However, rather than adopt this labored assumption that the Alter Rebbe suddenly changes direction and interpolates one word from another verse, it appears more reasonable to say that the words to him are not intended as a quotation. Rather, since some commentators hold that the conclusion of our verse, and who shall say to him, refers to Shimi, the Alter Rebbe here makes it clear that in fact speaks of Hashem, i.e. having first related that Hashem told Shemi what to do. And the verse ends by asking, who can possibly say to him, why did you... So this is the quote of the Pasuk. Hashem Hashem told him to curse. Who's going to say what he should do? So some commentaries say, who can tell Shemi what to do? Shemi is, you know, will do whatever he wants to do. He's rebelling against the king and he's with he threw in the towel with uh, Avshalom, so he'll do whatever he pleases to do. But Alter Rebbe wants to point out that the correct interpretation is Hashem told Shimi to curse, and who can tell Hashem what to do? It's a continuation. That's what he says. That Alter Rebbe inserts the word. It doesn't say in the verse loy, but it's, he's emphasizing, emphasis, to clarify that what the verse means is a continuation of the beginning of the verse. God told him to curse, and who can tell Eloi, who can tell God what to do? Hashem is running this world. My anger and screaming and yelling and getting angry is not going to change anything. <laughs> if Hashem decides that this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing a human being can do to stop it. There's no human being on earth. There's no force in the universe that can stop it. If this is what Hashem wants to happen... You better believe it. It's going to happen. One way or the other. 
So what's the point? I'm going to get angry and I'm going I'm to suppress him. I'm going to try to stop him. It's not going to stop anything. If this is meant to happen, it's going to happen. So I'm gonna, I want to stop the negativity by getting angry at the other person. Controlling the other person. That's, that's not going to stop anything. If Hashem wants something to happen, it's going to happen. I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. He's not in charge. He's not in control. Hashem is in charge. So if this is decreed in heaven, there's nothing I can do to stop it. Unless I do the inner work. Then I can stop. I mean, obviously, this is, this is after the fact. After something already happened, obviously, this is what Hashem wanted to happen. You know, if someone is, is, someone is coming to hurt you, you have to defend yourself. You can't just say, well, <laughs> this is Hashem wants to happen, then nothing's going to happen. How do I know Hashem wants it to happen? Maybe Hashem wants me to stop it from happening. <laughs> you know? I have a responsibility for myself. Hashem gave me one responsibility to take care of myself. I don't own my body, so if someone is trying to hurt me, if someone is trying to kill me, to hurt me, I have an obligation to protect myself. It's, not, it's a mitzvah, it's an obligation. I have a responsibility. And I have to stop it. And if the only way to stop the other person from harming me is by killing him, then so be it. I have an obligation to stop not only I have an obligation, every spectator has an obligation. If you see someone chasing after another person with a gun, trying to, with a knife to harm him and to kill him, or I see someone trying to chase after, another, after a woman to rape her, I have an obligation. If the only way to stop him is by killing him, I have an obligation to stop him. That's what Hashem wants me to do. This is not a recipe for fatalism. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. So what's, I'm just going to fold my arms and we're not fatalists. You know, imagine someone saying, listen, if Hashem wanted me to live, why do I have to pick up the spoon and pick up the fork and pick up the food? If Hashem wants me to live, He's, he's going to get the food into my mouth. So I'm just going to sit there. You know what's going to happen? You're going to die. In the history of the world, it never happened that Hashem lifted up a fork and lifted up a spoon. We're not fatalist. Hashem gave you a brain and you have a responsibility to pick up the fork. He's giving you all the food. He's giving you everything you need. You just have to, and, and the wisdom, and the know-how to lift up the fork and to take the food and put it into your mouth. And true. He wants you to live. He wants you to do something. To be proactive. So if, to stop harm, to defend yourself, or to defend another person, you have to be proactive. And that's exactly what Hashem wants you to do. And you have to do it diligently. But we're talking about after the fact. He already cursed King David. It was already done. This I'm going to get angry at him. Obviously. Obviously. This was meant to happen. And if this is meant to happen, there's nothing that a human being could do to stop it. It was going to happen one way or the other. If not through him, a different way. This was going to get done. Hashem's will was going to happen. So why am I getting angry? The teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, of blessed memory, on the verse, Forever, O Hashem, your word stands firm in the heavens, is well known. As mentioned above in Shah Haikhud Behaimunah, chapter 1, the Baal Shem Tov expanded, disseminated the following concept that appears in the Midrash Tehillim. 
the combination of the letters with which the heavens were created, i.e. the creative utterance, let there be a firmament, stand and remain vested in the heavens forever to animate and sustain them. As the Alter Rebbe explained in greater detail in Shar HaYichud VaEmunah, chapters 1 and 2, this is also the case with regard to all created beings. This differs from the view of the philosophers who deny the individual providence of the Creator over each and every one of His creations. Using their false analogy, they liken the word of Hashem, the maker of heaven and earth, to the work of man and his devices. For when a metalsmith has completed a vessel, it no longer needs the hands of the smith. Though his hands are removed from it, it remains intact by itself. Some philosophers apply this model to the creation of heaven and earth and imagine that once God created them, they need him no more, heaven forbid. These thinkers thus deny Hashgachapratit, individually directed divine providence, the Creator's constant and ongoing contact with his created beings. This is actually a quote literally from the second part of the Tanya, Shari Yechid Vamuna. Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're not going to go over it in great length because you can listen to the lessons in Tanya.com. But this is the uh, teaching of the Baal Shem Tev, the revolution of the Baal Shem Tev. That creation is not a one-time event that happened 5,776 years ago, but creation is ongoing. That Hashem is to constantly create the world. And if Hashem would cease, would stop creating the world, the world would revert back to nothingness as if it never existed. Because our whole being, our whole existence is nothing other than Hashem thinking about us at this moment, bringing us into existence. Just like when a person imagines. You know, you just bring things, you're imagining it, it exists in your head. We only exist within Hashem. What happens when you stop imagining? What happens to all those events and characters and personalities that you created in your, with your imagination? It's as if it never existed. Because <laughs> it truly never really existed. It existed in your head. You gave it the energy. It existed in your mind. You created it. You're the creator. It has no other reality but your creativity, your imagination. And the moment you stop thinking, it's all over. It's as if it never happened. It's not like you have to kill them. Okay. <laughs> to murder them. He <laughs> just don't exist. So Hashem is crea- the world is so dependent on Hashem. The world has no independent existence to the extent that constantly Hashem is a constantly creator. And if Hashem would stop thinking about us, what does Hashem have to do if He wants to destroy the world? Nothing. <laughs> the moment He stops thinking and creating us and bringing us into being, it's as if we never exist. Nothing. We're absolutely nothing. We're inherently nothing. All we are is the divine energy that's constantly creating us. To that extent. We're so unified within Hashem. We're so just part of Hashem. There's nothing other than Hashem. So this is the belief in creation. This is creationism. This is Jewish faith. Not like they who think that the world is something, not something from something. Even many religions have the Lalaf Abdullah make a thousand separations, the Christian religion. 
you know, they believe that the world of nature runs on its own, but God, once in a while, intervenes to show that he's the big boss, that he can do what he wants and he can change, he can do a miracle. So once in a while, he shows his face to show that he has the power. But other than that, he created the world, and the world is running on its own. For a Jew, this is idolatry. We believe in one God. We believe in creationism. Something from nothing. Not something from something. God is not the cause, the mighty cause, the almighty, the omnipotent, the omniscient, and he's the original cause. And we are the effect. So the cause can walk away and the effect continues to exist on its own. Something from nothing means that the something can't exist for a split second on its own. We exist within God. We're nothing other than the divine godly energy that's constantly imagining us, creating us, thinking about us, speaking us into existence. Otherwise we would cease to exist as if we never existed. To that extent. That's how unified we are within God. We're absolutely nothing without God. Nothing besides God, nothing without God. So, therefore, if you truly believe that, then you can understand that nothing in this world happens without Hashem. If lips are moving, it's because Hashem is imagining at this moment. Hashem is willing the lips to move. If a thought enters into your mind, it's because Hashem imagined. At this moment, Hashem is imagining and Hashem is willing and speaking this idea into existence. Although it's a negative thought. The thought that enters your mind is a negative thought to harm another person, which is immoral and terrible. But for this event, for this thought to even enter your mind, it's because Hashem is wishing it and imagining it. If Hashem would not imagine and wish it, it wasn't decreed in heaven, you would never even entertain the thought. You wouldn't have the energy to move your lips to implement this. Because Hashem needs this to happen to me. Not through you. You have a moral obligation to reject this thought. But the idea that this is in the universe, that this is what Hashem wants, and this is going to happen, and nothing is going to stop it, Hopefully you'll do the right thing and you'll reject it, but then Hashem will, will, will happen through someone else, through something else, a different way. It's only if you understand the, the creationism, the ultimate faith in Hashem, Hashem creates the world each and every moment, that you can truly wrap your mind around this idea. Everything is Hashem. But their eyes will be there that they cannot see the great difference between man's work and schemes, which is the production of something out of something, yesh miyesh, where he merely changes the form and the appearance, the shapeless piece of silver that a craftsman forms into a vessel already existed and was in, innately malleable. The craftsman has thus innovated nothing, and the vessel, once shaped, will therefore not be dependent on him. The philosophers, however, do not see the difference between this and the creation of heaven and earth, which is a creatio ex nihilo, yesh mayayin, creating something out of nothing. As the Alter Rebbe will soon point out, something brought into existence out of nothing cannot continue to exist unless the power that creates it remains constantly vested within it. 
This, the creation of heaven and earth, ex nihilo, is an even greater wonder than, for example, the splitting of the Red Sea, which Hashem drove back by a strong east wind all that night, and the waters were divided, and stood upright like a wall. If the wind had ceased even for a moment, the waters would again have flowed downward, as is their way, and nature, and they would not have stood upright like a wall. In the corresponding passage in Shur HaYehud Hamuna, the Alter Rebbe adds the words, without a doubt. So he's not just saying, obviously, you know, if you, if you take a cup of water and you blow to create a splitting of a sea, a miniature splitting of the sea, take, take a pan of water and blow, and of course you're going to have a splitting of the sea. You'll have Hollywood production, a splitting of the sea. So obviously, if you stop blowing, the water is going to flow back. I mean, that's a very simple analogy. That's not, that's not what he's coming to say. That's obvious. At the splitting of the sea, something changed in the nature of the water. The water, as a result of the wind blowing, the nature of water changed. It became like a wall. It started acting like a solid, like a wall. It says, The flowing waters stood up like a wall. Nitzvah stood firm, like a wall. They started acting like a solid object instead of like a, a, a fluid object. So the blowing of the wind caused a miraculous change in the nature of water. It's not just that there was a wind, like I, you take a cup of water and you blow into it and then suddenly and you create a path. So there was a wind and it created the path. That's, if that's what happened, then obviously you need a constant, uh, you need to constantly blow the wind. But we're talking about something much deeper happened. It wasn't just the wind blew and created. The wind blew and brought about a miraculous, it was a miraculous wind. Because which wind in the world? Never happened in the history of the world that there was a wind that created a sea to part. Such a deep sea. It doesn't happen. It was a miraculous wind that created a miraculous effect where the water started acting with the properties of a solid and stood up firm like a wall. And that's the analogy to creation. God creates the world. God is bringing us into existence. So, so we, there is an existence. We exist. We're not an illusion. God is creating us. So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a good analogy to blowing into the cup and, and creating a, an artificial an artificial path that everyone understands that you have to constantly blow and the moment you stop blowing the water will, will <laughs> the path will disappear it's not artificial God created us we're not artificial God is creating us the Torah says God created heaven and earth it's not an illusion God is creating us it's real we're not artificial we're not an optical illusion we're as real as it gets the Torah says that God creates us heaven and earth that it's real so, so the analogy is to the splitting of the sea. It wasn't just that the wind blew and created an artificial path. The wind blew and caused a change in the water, that the fluid started acting like uh, solids and stood erect. If that's the case, why did the wind have to constantly blow all night? The miracle was the first minute. The water turned into a stone. I mean, God miraculously could have turned the water into a stone. And then that's it. You don't need another miracle. And then you'll need another miracle to happen that the stone should turn back into water. But that's not what God did. 
the water remained water. And that's why the moment the, the miracle stopped, the moment the wind stopped, automatically the water reverted back and covered up the Egyptians. God didn't have to make another miracle and change the stone back into water. It never turned into stone. It didn't turn into a solid. It remained water. The miracle was that the water behaved with the properties and the characteristics of a solid while it was still water. The, the flowing, the fluids acted like a wall, stood erect like a wall. That was the miracle. To create such a miracle, to change the nature of water, that water should remain water. And at the same time, it should have the properties of a solid. This you needed a constant miracle, constant blowing. So how much more so, the Alter Rebbe says, with creation. It's not artificial, God is creating us. But how much more so that this act of creation... It needs a constant force, a constant energy. The creative energy, divine energy, needs to constantly create us. If it would stop creating us with, for one split second, we would revert back to our natural state, which is absolute nothingness. But to be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.